Let's do that. Uh, the book of Haggai. Haggai. Yep, yep, Haggai. You can find it. <laughs> Table of contents. You can find it. You got it? Table of contents. Go, go to the book of Malachi. That's the last book of the Old Testament. And then go come back a couple books. Get to Malachi, come back to Zechariah, and then get to um, Haggai. All right? Chapter 1. And maybe I'm going to start at verse 7. I'm going to start at verse 7, just to take a time, shorten this a little bit. Chapter 7. And we'll go through verse 13. All right, everybody have that? Yes, sir. Okay, let's read it together. Please ready, read. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord, says the Lord. Verse 5 starts and says, Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's my subject tonight, consider your ways. Thank you, Father, tonight for the word. I ask that God you'd anoint me afresh to minister the word of God. I pray that revelation would flow freely in this place, and I pray that your people have hearing ears, seeing eyes, receiving hearts to receive all that you have for us. God, open our eyes. We may see wondrous things out of your word tonight. Have your way. Let the word be confirmed with the signs following in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. amen. And amen. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Now, I, I taught you, uh, we shared on uh, this message on how to behave in church, right? Yes, and I talked to you, uh, you know, it's about so you don't miss what God is doing. Right. And we shared about how you have to give yourself to the word. And then we talked about how you have to lose yourself in praise and worship. And this Sunday, I talked about this uh, subject, creating an atmosphere of glory, right? Remember the scripture we use, Proverbs 28, verse 12, that says, when the righteous rejoice, there is what? So you create an atmosphere of glory by your worship, by your rejoicing. Remember that word rejoicing we saw literally means to jump for joy. So it's all about praise and worship. So what we said was praise and worship, and I don't, I'm not really trying to deal with praise and worship extensively as we have been doing. It's just having to be uh, following that way. Uh, but praise and worship creates an atmosphere for the glory of God. Yes. Are you hearing me? Yes, sir. And um, Psalm 22, verse 3, y'all know that scripture. It says, you are uh, holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. King James says, you inhabit the praises of Israel. Okay. Now, I want to remind you of a statement I made on Sunday that it may have just sort of slipped by you, but I want to reiterate that statement. That how you worship will change how you live. How you worship will change how you live. And listen to me very carefully. Your lifestyle, meaning the quality of life, is in many ways a direct correlation to your worship yes, sir. and your praise. Yes, I know that may seem simple, academic, elementary to you, but it's, it's, uh, it really is um, a truth that when you and I praise and worship God as a lifestyle, I don't mean just coming here on church and you're in church and you just get loud a couple of times. I mean, as a lifestyle, you open yourself to revelation. You open yourself to wisdom. You open yourself, uh, you keep yourself in, in a connection with God if it's a lifestyle. Uh, back when the uh, internet first came out, 
we had something called uh, AOL. You remember AOL, America Online? And we used something called dial-up. Remember dial-up? You couldn't, you couldn't use your phone and the internet at the same time because your phone was how you got online. Look at y'all young people looking like, what are they talking about? <laughs> your phone was how you got online and you heard this and it was this, you, you, it, it took you, you know, if you wanted, there, there was no downloading no movies. There was no streaming any football games. It's just, you, you, you got online, the best you could do was hopefully get an email. You've got mail. And it took you two days to get it because it was dial-up service. But then as, as technology began to advance, uh, we move into uh, broadband service, uh, high-speed internet service, and uh, lightning internet service, fiber internet service, where now uh, you, you can stay connected all the time. Well, praise and worship allows you to stay connected all the time. If you make praise and worship a lifestyle, you're connected to God all the time. He inhabits the praises. So God dwells in our praises. So when you and I make worship and, and praise a lifestyle, then you and I can stay in direct communication with God all the time, uh, that direct line to God. And so when that happens, you have revelation, you have wisdom that flows, you can hear God's voice, you can hear God's instruction. And so when there, whenever challenges come, uh, God can give you an answer like that. Whenever um, a question arises, God can give you an answer like that. Uh, and you don't have to go and, and fast three days if you've been living a lifestyle. You don't have to go consecrate if you stay consecrated. The young folks say it like this, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. You, you follow me? And so uh, I'm, this, this is, that's why I say that how you worship can change, will change how you live. And I said this Sunday that because when you and I give God what he, uh, what belongs to him, which is glory, then he releases what belongs to us. And there are things that belong to us. There are things that God has already set aside. The eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. So there are things that belong to us that when you and I worship God as a lifestyle, they are released to us. Now, I don't have time to read all this. We've read it a couple times already in Psalm 67, verses 3 through 7. I, I declare to you these three uh, prophetic uh, releases that come when you and I praise God as a lifestyle. And I talked about, number one, judgment's in your favor, right? Judgment's in your favor. It means God turning things around on your behalf. Uh, we talked about increase in your fields, increase in your fields. In other words, whatever you are uh, working on, whatever you are putting your hands to, whatever you set, when, when you have a field, it means you've done some work of, of, uh, of, of, of uh, tilling the land, plowing, tilling the land, planting the seed, watering it, and he says when their increase comes, uh, God has given you increase. So increase in your, in your fields, we read that in Psalm 67, is a result of praise and worship. Um, in, in the book of Joel, Joel, J-O-E-L, chapter 1, verse 12, in the King James, it's not in the notes, uh, they can put it up for me, Joel, chapter 1, verse 12, in the King James Version, it says that everything's dried up or withered away because the joy of men have, has withered away. So, yeah, the, says, look what it says. The vine is dried up and the fig tree languishes. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. In other words, they all languish, they all wither. And all the trees of the field are withered. Why? Because joy is withered away. So if you don't have joy, if you're not rejoicing then it causes the fields to wither. I don't know if I'm getting this across enough. Your praise and worship, your rejoicing is critical to the fruitfulness in your life. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, I, I was, uh, I've heard this. I've never seen it, but I've heard that it, in, the, in the Native American uh, culture, also in African cultures, some Caribbean cultures, that they do something called rain dances. Anybody ever heard of a rain dance? All right, you're not gonna find us in a club. It's not a club dance. Rain dance 
is, is when, they, they would, when there would be drought times. There would be no, no rain coming, and they need rain, uh, one, to drink. They're looking for something, something to drink. Secondly, and, and importantly, as important, rain on their fields to cause their crops to come up. Right. And when they go through a time where they're experiencing no rain, they get together and begin to, to uh, I've seen it in circles, where they do rain dances. And their, their rain dances were, in their mind, to appease the gods and to get the heavens to open up. But really what was happening was that they were dancing and getting their jaw going. So it is really a, a biblical spiritual principle that when you and I let our, get our joy going, then God opens the heavens. Y'all better grab a hold of this. Because what the devil will get you to do is when everything is languishing, is he'll get you to not praise and be depressed and be anxious and be, be upset. And so if you stay depressed and quiet and upset, it's going to stay dry. Oh, y'all hear me, okay? So you can't be dry just because things are starting to get dry in your life. If you notice things are starting to get dry, maybe your joy is drying up. Amen? So judgments in your favor, increase in your fields, and blessings on your family. Blessings on your family. All right? Now, we talked about all this coming as a result of praise and worship. Now, how many of y'all remember Abraham, who the Bible calls my father in the faith? Abraham was a worshiper. Abraham was a worshiper. The Bible says that Abraham was strengthened in faith, Romans 4, giving glory to God. Abraham was a worshiper. If you check Abraham's story, Abraham always, every seemed like every stop he made, he stopped and built an altar. And this altar was for him to worship God. He didn't have a church to go to. There was no exceeding Grace Christian Center, no Souls Harvest Fellowship back then. So he had to build his own altar. He had to build his own place for him to worship. And, and God blessed him uh, very, very much so. In, in Genesis uh, 12, Gen Genesis 12, verse 4 through 9. Media, put it on the screen for me, please. Genesis 12, verse 4 through 9. Look what it says. It says, so Abraham, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Canaan is a promised land. Y'all remember that? Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were, in, were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he, he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Are y'all seeing that? So Abram... Now, y'all know the story, if you may, may not know, if you keep reading chapter 12, you see this famine that hits. But because Abram was a worshiper, his worship had built a hedge for him. So when the famine hit, he wasn't affected by the famine. In fact, he got richer. Come on, somebody. In the famine. Why? Because he had been building altars. In fact, go to chapter 13 for me, please. Chapter 13. Hallelujah. Then Abram went up from Egypt. Uh, he, he and his wife and all that he had and Lot went with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where he, his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar, the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So what is, what is it saying? That although Abraham became very rich, he didn't forget the altar. He, he never stopped worshiping God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That, that's right. In Genesis 22, when, when Abram's going up there with his son Isaac to that mountain, he tells his men, he said, listen, y'all stay down here. He said, my son and I, we're going up here to worship. And he was a worshiper. I need y'all to catch this because we are so in awe of what God did in Abraham's life. The Bible says, look to Abraham, your father who bore you, the Sarah. You know, it says, look to them and consider them, consider them. 
Isaiah 51. It says, look to them, consider them. Yes. Well, what, what we ought to consider is not, not just their wealth, yes. but their lifestyle of worship. Yes. Because wealth without worship will get you in trouble. Yes. Y'all didn't say anything. Wealth without worship will get you in trouble. You'll be pierced through with many sorrows. And so many people, particularly when you get in a prosperity kind of church, a faith church, kingdom church, you forget about worship and your focus gets to be on being on wealth. And if you do that, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. You must set your heart. Look how y'all looking at me. You must set your heart to be a worshiper. That if riches increase, I will not set my heart on them. My heart is going to be set on God. I see how y'all looking at me like you don't want to hear this. Listen, don't get so money-minded that you forget that you can't serve God and money. You can only serve one. What you want to do is serve one, make the other serve you. You serve God, make the mammon, make the money serve you. Hallelujah. And if you're a God worshiper, then your money will be a God worshiper. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I told y'all that Sunday that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God told them, go and borrow all the jewels, go and borrow all the clothes. You're going to go out in the wilderness, you're going to worship. Well, what happened later on when you get to the book of Exodus, uh, later on in Exodus, when they get ready to build that tabernacle, guess what? They start bringing all them jewels. Come on. Because the money wasn't just about them being adorned beautifully. The money was also about them worshiping God. Y'all ain't saying much to me on a Wednesday night. See, and you, you'll get yourself in trouble if your heart and your mind, your eyes are set on wealth and not worship. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Abraham's descendants, Isaac and Jacob, they both built altars unto the Lord, right? And God prospered them in spite of famine, in spite of all kind of... Remember, Jacob's uh, father-in-law was, I mean, a crook taking advantage of him, but God so prospered because Jacob had built an altar. Remember, Jacob built an altar, and he had bowed the tithe. And then God blessed him, made him rich. And when he got ready to leave his father-in-law, God told him, go back to that place where you made that vow at that altar. God remembered that altar. Y'all missing it. God remembered that place of worship. How many worshipers are here tonight? God remembered that place of worship. Thank you, Lord. So we have to make sure that worship is our priority. And by worship, I don't just mean lifting our hands and saying hallelujah. I mean worship as a lifestyle. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Uh, it's on this side right here. It's not on that side. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service, or some translations say your reasonable act of worship. So your lifestyle, how you live, living holy, living godly, living righteously. I'm looking at nobody over here. Living, I'm trying to see who, living holy, living godly, living righteously, walking in integrity. Stop lying and cheating and cussing. No fornicating and I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live right. I'm not going to succumb to the pressure of this world to get me to, to conform and start living like the world. No, I be not conformed to this world, but I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. So I don't just mean worship just coming in, because you can come here and say hallelujah and be totally fake. They worship me, they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So God doesn't want just your lip service. Y'all quiet back in the middle here. He don't want just your lip service. He wants your life. Yes, Tell you that he wants your life. Because truth is, you can't fake God out anyway. God knows my heart. That's right. Baby, you show sure is right. He knows your heart. Hallelujah. We used to sing a song by being holy, sanctified. 
We can say that for 45 minutes. Holy, sanctify. God only of holy, sanctify. God only of holy, sanctify. That's a whole song. 45 minutes. Sing it so long, bear we had to change drummers in the middle of a song. Drum, we used to wear drummers out. <laughs> but holiness was a lifestyle. It's our reasonable act of worship. Our reasonable act of worship. Thank you, Jesus. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You keep going on the line, you get to a man named David. Remember David? Most people know of David as being a great king, a valiant warrior. But many people don't realize that before David ever became a valiant warrior, he was a worshiper. He was a worshiper. In fact, what brought him first into the palace was his ability to play on his harp and, 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 and to appease the, the restless mind of Saul, the vexed, tortured mind of Saul. Because David knew how to worship. Many, if not most of the Psalms that we read were written, penned by David, a worshiper. And one of the things that, that, that happened in David's life was, because he was a worshiper, it came into his heart. He said, because I'm a worshiper, I want to build God a house of worship. He said, it's not right that the ark of the covenant, which represented the, the actual presence of the living God, the power of God, the, 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 the things of God. He said, I don't want this just out here anywhere. I want to build God a house of worship. Right. You know the story? God said, no, you can't do it because you have blood on your hands. You, you had, you had, you, and not, not because of his wars, but because he had killed Uriah. He had killed Uriah. Remember he had that little that little tryst, yeah. a little situation with Bathsheba, and um, killed, you, killed her husband because he got her pregnant, and so he killed her husband trying to cover it up. And God said, because of that, you have blood in your hands. I can't let you build a temple, but your son, thank you, Lord. I'm going to let him build a temple, build a house of worship. So they built it. Most splendid facility ever built on this planet. The children of Israel would worship in this temple. They'd honor God. If, you've ever, if you go through the uh, Old Testament survey class, you'll see how the temple was laid out and how everything was arranged, all the furniture, the furnishings of the temple. It's just, it's, it was all revelation how everything was laid out. But they got away from worship. The people did. They fell into apostasy. Fell in, into sin. Because they fell into sin, God allowed the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to come in and to take them captive into Babylonia, in, into Babylon rather, for 70 years. But before the Babylonians left, they destroyed that temple, that house of worship that Solomon built. They destroyed it. 70 years. But God has said in Jeremiah 29, right around verse uh, 10, God has said, after 70 years be accomplished, I'm going to visit you and perform that good word I've spoken to you. So God says, after 70 years, I'm going I'm to bring you up out of Babylon and send you back to Jerusalem. Yes, so what happens? The people come out of Babylon for 70 years. Y'all remember that? Yes, and they go back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah, the Bible says, and you read the book of Nehemiah, he, he sends back word. He said, hey, how, how are things going for my brothers back in Jerusalem? And they, they said, hey, it's not good. They said, they said we, we have, no, we have no, no, uh, no, no wall. The walls of Jerusalem have all been burned down, torn down. And he began to just weep on the inside, and he asked the king, hey, can I go and check out what's going on? And, and so Nehemiah led, led a group of people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Every nation ought to have walls. It just, it's just right. You need walls for protection of your nation. In fact, how Israel was breached on October 7th this year was through the walls around, around Gaza. They, 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 they let their guard down and the Palestinians, the Hamas, got in through those walls. 
Walls are very important. And so um, they, they went and they, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. So now that the walls are rebuilt, people, and the Bible says one thing I love about Nehemiah, it says that every man built in front of his own house. Every man built the wall in front of his own house. So now we have the wall built, their houses built. The people are now enjoying themselves. Look at us. We survived 70 years in Babylon. Now we're back in Jerusalem, reestablishing our nation, reestablishing our lifestyles. We have protection all around us because we have our walls. And now we're having a good time. Now we can go back having our feasts and having our parties, having our little good times. And I can go visit Granny and them house. And we can now, you know, get together for, you know, all of our, whatever we want to do. Just have a good time and weddings and bar mitzvahs and having all these wonderful things that they were doing. But the problem was that although they had their houses built, no one has something to think about the house of worship. The house of God. And therefore, we have the book of Haggai. The same building that David, the worshiper, wanted to build, Solomon built, Babylon destroyed. We're right here in the book of Haggai and dealing with the consequences of that. So, the people, they're back in Jerusalem, back in their lives, back in their creature comforts, but they failed to return to worship. It, it, it reminds me of, of post-COVID. Some of our online watchers know what I'm talking about. People have returned to normalcy in every other area of their lives. They're back at football games and back at movies and back going to parties and back going on vacations and back at family reunions and back dating, back kissing and yeah, well, nobody gonna kiss during COVID, but now they back kissing and doing oh, more, more than just kissing. They doing all that kind of stuff. Everybody's back to their normal. Back to school. Everybody's back. Everybody's back, except when it comes to the house of worship. People still streaming. Because somehow the church is dangerous. Somehow that gathering is dangerous. And it's not that the church is dangerous. It's that you fell into the law of complacency. That's it. That's it. Where you became at ease in Zion. I'm not talking to y'all. Y'all are here. I'm talking about your cousin. And these people in the book of Haggai were in this place where they had returned to their normal in every area, but the house of God was left diminished. The book of Haggai is a, is a lesson in financial turnarounds. It's a lesson in financial turnarounds. Look at this in, in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the priest, saying, now, the, the name Haggai means festive. You look at his name, it means festive. It's, it's, it's lively. Yet the festive prophet must bring a solemn message. In fact, you, you read in the, in the, book, of, uh, the book of Ezra, I believe it, said, I believe it is, where it says that the people prospered through the prophesying of Haggai. So he was a prosperity prophet. Y'all quiet in the middle. He, they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai. So when he prophesied things, they would prosper and increase. And so God uses this prophesying, this prosperous prophesying prophet to come to bring a solemn message 
to them because here's the truth. God doesn't want to see his people struggling. And he sees the people struggling. He says, and I'm going to tell you why you're struggling. So tell your neighbor, God's going to tell you why you're struggling. Thus speaks the Lord of financial transactions. Remember I taught you that some time ago. You see Lord of hosts, one of the meanings, not just Lord of angel armies, but also the Lord of financial transactions. The time has not come. He says, the, 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 this people says, the time has not come the time that the Lord's house should be built. The people are saying, it's not time to really work on that yet. The people are saying, this is not a good time to be focused on that. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to talk to you about some building fund. I'm not about to launch a building fund for the new building. I'm talking about worship as a lifestyle. The things of God. And he said, the people, have, the people have said that the time has not come that we should work on the things of God. We're having too much fun. We're having a good time trying to, trying to work on other things. And reality, what we're going to see in a minute is they, they, they're trying to make other things work and other things aren't working. So they're saying, rather than going back to the house of worship, we're going to work harder at what we're doing out here. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Is, is it, it's, it's here, it's here. They said, it's not time the Lord's house we built. Now, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and 5 that you and I, that we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. So we're talking about you and I being a spiritual house of God. And the people say it's not time to build up the people of God. Are you catching this here? Okay? So you and I, in fact, that 1 Peter 2, 5, notice what it says. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. So notice the house is built of stones. Every one of us are stones in God's house. You're catching this. So to build a house, to, to increase the house, we need more stones. Where are those stones? They're out there. Y'all missed it. Y'all didn't, didn't say it. To, to increase the house, we need more stones. And the people said it's not time to go out there and get more stones. I don't have time to go out there and gather more, more souls. Y'all quiet up there. I don't have time to work on God's kingdom. I'm working on trying to build my own stuff. And things, are, things ain't, they're not going real good right now, so I don't have time to work on God's house because I'm trying to get my house straight now. Oh, Lord. He says, verse, verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came, but had got the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? The Bible says you and I are temples of the living God, right? Second Corinthians 6, 16. So he said, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled? Don't, don't think panel like we, from the 70s, the 80s. Uh, think think uh, uh, an estate with Find wood, cedar paneling, all just opulent studies, libraries. You understand that? He says, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled house in this temple, my house, my things, lying ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Everybody say, consider your ways. Now, he's about to go through something here. Y'all got a few more minutes here? He's about, to go, go through, he's about to give a scenario about their financial condition. And he says, when you look at your financial condition, he says, don't consider the economy. Y'all quiet. He doesn't consider inflation. He doesn't consider the job market. He doesn't consider, consider who's in the White House or who's in the governor's mansion. Or who's in the mayor's office? He said, when you're looking at what's up with your lifestyle, consider your ways. 
He said, I'm going to lay it right out for you as to why you're struggling, why you're hurting. It's not what somebody else is doing. It's not because of who's in this office and who's over here. It's because of your ways. He says, consider your ways. In fact, um, let's switch to the, to the Living Bible, please, media. I want to read verses 5 through 7 in the Living Bible. In the Living Bible. Hallelujah. I'm almost done. Now, remember he said, you, you're saying it's not time for us to be working on God's house. The Living Bible says this. Instead of consider your ways, it says, look at the result. Let's, let's, let's do a scientific investigation. Let's do a forensic analysis of your finances. Let's look at this and see why are your finances hung up? Why are you struggling? Why? Y'all don't want to hear this. Why are you broke? Why are you working harder and harder and things aren't working out? Oh, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't even say consider the devil. Y'all, boy. He didn't say consider the devil. He said, this, this, one, this ain't on the devil. This one ain't on the, the devil can do some stuff, but this ain't on the devil right here. Sometimes we bring the devil on some stuff that he and the devil like, that wasn't me. He said, consider your ways. Living Bible says, look at the result. Now let's, let's look at this and see what's happening. Verse 6, he says, you plant much, but harvest little. New King James says, you sow much, and you bring in little. Now he's not talking about sowing seed in church or sowing seed into your man of God or sowing seed into some mission work. That's not, he's talking about, talking about you out there in the world and you investing and you're, you're, you're dropping things here and you, 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 you planting little business ideas and you got your little stuff. He said, you're, so, you're planting much. He said, I see you working. I, I see you're busy. Toiling. He said, you plant much, but harvest little. Now that goes directly against how the system of God works. For God says, whoever, if you sow generous, bountifully, you'll reap. So if you sow much, you're supposed to reap much. But he said, look at you. You sowing much, but you're harvesting little. He said, that's, that's backwards. He said, you better consider your ways. He says, you have scarcely enough to eat or drink and not enough clothes to keep you warm. Your income, y'all see it? Your income disappears as though you were putting it into pockets filled with holes. I don't know if anybody ever felt like that, but this is said, this the money just disappearing and you're bringing it home but it's just like by the time by the time you get home and you go you go to Chick-fil-A one time because it's payday you know the payday Chick-fil-A people we're gonna splurge on payday he said by the time you, you get there he said it's like you're putting it into pockets with filled with holes Look, this is look at the results. Say so you don't have enough to eat or drink. Enough to clothe you. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, don't think about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. Your father knows you have need of all these things. Notice, notice that what they're experiencing, Deacon Robert, is a total antithesis of what we're supposed to experience in the kingdom of God. Total opposite. He says, you don't have enough to eat and drink. Go back to the living Bible for me. He says, verse 7, think it over. Think it over. Think it over. Think it over. Says the Lord Almighty. Consider how you have acted 
and what has happened as a result. Are y'all catching us here? He says, again, back in the, in the New King James, he says, you've sown much, but you bring in little. Now, remember, one plants, one waters, God gives the increase. So, he said, we could, we could surmise then, the reason you're sowing much and bringing a little is because God's not giving you the increase. No, 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 God don't work that way. I'm, I'm going to help all y'all faith people. I know we're faith people, right? Word of faith, right? And we like to say there's God, just stuff God doesn't do. Y'all quiet. We like to say, no, God is good all the time. I know y'all like to say that, don't you? God is good all the time. God always does good. Let's read the text. You have so much and bring a little. You eat, you do not have enough. You drink, you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages, earns wages to put holes in it. Verse 7, bags with, into bags with holes. Verse 7, thus is the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways. He says, go to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Verse 9, he says, you looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home... The devil got all in there. And no, that's not God. No, that's not my God, Pastor. God don't act like that. No, God says, yes, I do. I blew it away. Boy. You look for much, but indeed it came. Now, why they look for much? Because remember, they sold much. I worked hard. I did a lot. I'm supposed to get all this back. And he said, but you brought in a little, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it being the little you brought home. Are y'all saying this? I blew it away. Why? What is he doing? He's helping us consider. Why? Says the Lord of hosts, because, because, because of my house, which is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house meaning you're all about your own business all about your own affairs all working on what you can do for yourself I'm trying to build my business trying to build my trade trying to build my career trying to build my I'm trying to do my own thing now God's not against you having a career and a business and doing your thing he's not against that in fact he's on, he will help you with it he wants you to prosper. He wants you to succeed. But not at the expense of his house, of his business. Y'all quiet in this Baptist church. Not at the expense of what he wants, needs you to do for him. Why? Because of my house that is in ruins. Well, everyone runs his own house. Verse 10. Verse 10. God is good, isn't he? He's answering the why. He ain't done talking. He said, therefore, because you run your own house, therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its rain. Why? For I called, I called, I called. Pastor, this means the Lord allowed. No, this, that's not what this means. This means God literally called. He said, I called. Look at y'all faith folk. You don't want to hear this. For I called for a drought. I called for a drought. Watch this. On the land and the mountains, on the grain 
and the new wine and the oil on, on whatever the ground, whatever it brings forth. I, I said, it ain't bringing up nothing. On men. In other words, I ain't going to let you produce nothing. And livestock. Your livestock ain't going to produce nothing. And on all the labor of your hands. Now you know this is against how God operates because he said in Deuteronomy 28, he said, I'll bless the work of your hands. He wants to bless the work of our hands. But when you and I Forget worship is a priority as a lifestyle. Living for him is a priority as a lifestyle. Then he said, I can't, I can't work with you. And you can't prosper unless I prosper you. Oh, Jesus. So, so what happens? Because he calls for a drought. Here, here's how it looks, Dick. When you sow much, uh -huh. you work hard, and nothing produces, then natural intelligence and demonic wisdom tells you, work harder. You're not doing enough. I'm going to come over here. I heard somebody say this over here. The devil doesn't tell you consider your ways. He's going to tell you, okay, uh, Add 10 more hours. We'll get another job. Just keep stacking on. Okay, you invested a thousand in that. Okay, it ain't brought in that much. Okay, this time add, add another two thousand. Crickets, crickets, crickets. I better go to, to another seminar over here. Let me just take another weekend out of church and go learn. Let somebody else tell me what to do and just. Because this person going to tell me, because the last people, uh, it, I, I, I thought I had it, but they're they going to tell me this time what to do. And the devil will never say, stop and consider your ways. He's going to make you run harder and run faster in the wrong direction. And the thing about it is, I don't care how hard you run, and how fast you run, if God be against you, who can be for you? Y'all don't like that. If God be against you, oh, I know, no, 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 Pastor Bob says if God be for me, who can be against me? I know, I know. But right here he said, I'm against you. I'm against you. In other words, God has such a superior power that if he's for you, nobody can stop you. At the same token, if he's against you, nobody can help you. Nobody and nothing will help you if God said, I'm against you. He resists the proud. And if God resists you, I don't care if your mama loaned you $125,000, you're going to blow right through it and your mama's going to lose her money because God is against you. Y'all ain't said nothing. I don't care if somebody come and drop a business in your lap. It's going to fail if God is against you. If God be against you, who can be for you? He said, I blew on it. What you going to do? What you gonna do? He said, I call for the drought. What you gonna do? Who gonna, who gonna change my decree? If I call for drought in your life, I don't, you can rain dance, you can, you, can, you can go to the root lady and the two head lady, you can go get you some beads and some stones and some candles and some sage and you can light up all the stuff. If I call a drought on your life, ain't nothing gonna work. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me. Because if I be against you, who can be for you? And it's interesting that people of God would never consider the fact that God right now 
might be against me. No, no, because God is for me. God is for me. Okay, can I give you a scripture? In, in 2 Chronicles 15.2, it says, it says uh, the Lord is with you while you are with him. Y'all don't see it? You see that? The Lord is with you. Now, if y'all know about Asa, Asa was a good king. You said about Asa, Asa was a good king. He did right before God. Yet the prophet had to tell Asa, he said, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, you're going to be in trouble. No, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. I know God is good. I know God is good. I know God is good. But he will still have no other God before him. That's right, that's what he said. And if you start putting your career and your business and your investment and your little dream ahead of God, he got to back off you. I'm going to come over here. If you start putting your business and your investments and your career and your dream and your ministry ahead of God. Now you got to catch us here because, because God doesn't want you going through this. See, this, this is why he sent the word. He could have just been done with him and said, just let him fail, bump it. But he sent, he sent Haggai, the prosperity prophet. Say, hey, Haggai, tell him what's going on. I don't want to see them going through like this. I don't want to see them struggling. Tell him what's going on. Tell him, tell him it ain't the devil. It's them. Tell them it's me. I'm the one withholding. But if they do me right, I do them right. If they return unto me, I return unto them. Oh, Jesus. Okay, let's wrap this up. It's nine o'clock. I want to read verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Yeah. Let's go to the Living Bible, please. 12 through 14. Because here's the thing. When they turned around, God turned things around. Now, and I want you to see this. I mean, this is what I love about God, how much he loves us. It's so instant. It's so instant. Because, listen, if God says something, he's already ready to fix it. Oh, Jesus. Y'all better catch this part here. What you don't want is for God to say nothing. Right. Did y'all catch what I said? You, you, you don't want, what you don't want is for God to say nothing. Because if God says nothing, he's done. But if God says something, it's because he's ready to turn things around. Tell your neighbor, God's ready to turn things around in your life. Tell him God is ready right now to turn your whole financial situation around. He wants you to go from little to much. Not enough to more than enough. What do you tell your neighbor? Say, neighbor, God doesn't enjoy watching you struggle. You may like it, you may think it's normal, but God does not enjoy watching you struggle. And tell him this, and he loves you so much. He wants you to know why you're struggling. Now, Holla, consider your ways. Okay, let's close out here. Haggai 1, 12 uh, through 14 in the Living Bible. 
Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the few people remaining in the land, obeyed Haggai's message from the Lord their God. They began, watch this, to worship him in earnest, in sincerity, worship in spirit and in truth. They began to change their lifestyle. It's like that. They didn't, they didn't say, no, I'm going to keep trying what I'm doing. I got one more car and I got, I'm going to die. I got one more plan. I'm going to die. No, they said, oh, that's why we're in a mess? Oh, that's why I'm struggling? I don't want to struggle like this. So they begin to worship him in earnest. Verse 13. Then the Lord told them, Remember, remember when, when Isaiah went to Hezekiah and said, the Lord said, you're going to die? And Hez Isaiah walked back out of the palace, getting ready to leave, and Hezekiah cried out to God and said, God, you know I've served all these years, so on and so forth, and God, God told Isaiah before he left the palace, go back. I got a new message for him. This is exactly what happens to them. Haggai's given the word of the Lord, and he's moving on about his business. But the people were, oh, thank you, Lord. You remember when, when Jonah went to, to Nineveh yes. to tell them God's going to destroy you unless you repent? Yes. And what happened? They repented right away. Yes. And God told Jonah, go back and tell them, okay, you're, going, you're good. Yes. Because God, is, when he comes to you with the word, he's ready to turn things around. Oh. Yes. He's already ready. He's already That's ready. how much he loves you. Then the, then the Lord told them, again, yeah. sending the message through Haggai, his messenger, I am with you. I, I will. What? They've been going through, living through little, not enough, wages, dripping out their pockets, looking for much, finding little, money getting blown on, blown on. And God in an instant says, I'm with you, and I will bless you. Now, what do you think is going to happen when God says, I'm with you, and I will bless you? And the Lord, verse 14, gave them a desire to rebuild his temple. So they all gathered in early September of the second year of King Darius' reign and volunteered their help. Chapter 2, verse 15. Let's keep going. And so everything you did, this is what God was said, tell, told them what was going on. He's back in chapter 2 explaining what was going on. He said, watch this. And so everything you did went wrong. He's explaining again what this, they were in. So everything you did went wrong. I tried and I tried and I tried. He said, yeah, but it went wrong. He says, now watch, because you repented, because you changed your lifestyle, because now you're back in a place of worship, he says, but all is different now because you have begun to build a temple. Keep going. Before, when you expected a 20 bushel crop, there were only 10. When you came to draw 50 gallons from the olive press, there were only 20. I rewarded all your, I rewarded all your labor with rust and mildew and hail. Yet even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. Going bad, but you wouldn't return. You thought, I'm just, I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to just work harder. Verse, verse 18, please, and 19. But now note this. I think New King James says again, consider. Again. From today, this 24th day of the month, as the foundation of the Lord's temple is finished, and from this day forward, I will bless you. Notice I am giving you this promise now before you have even begun to rebuild the temple structure. <coughs> Did y'all catch that? He said, because you simply turned and made a decision, I'm going to flip the script down with you. In other words, God's giving, saying, I'm giving you credit. I'm, I'm giving you credit ahead of time. 
because you already said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to start blessing you now. I'm not even going to wait till you, till you get it done. I'm going to start blessing you right now. He said, before you have, watch this, and before you have harvested your grain, and before the grapes, the figs, the pomegranates, and the olives have produced their next crops, from this day I will bless you. I will bless you. In other words, God says, this, that, ladies and gentlemen, this, that's how simple it is with God. That's how, that's how repentance works. Now, do you notice he wasn't mentioning all kind of sin? We're not talking about all kind of sin. This was just, just neglect of the things of God. Because sometimes people think, well, um, you know, I can understand if things were going wrong if I was in, in all kind of sin. But Lord, I ain't, I don't, I'm not in no kind of sin. I repent for all the stuff I've been doing. Sometimes it's not what you're doing, it's what you're not doing. Hello, somebody. It's not what you're doing. I know you ain't lying and cussing and stealing and cheating and fornicating and smoking weed no more. But it's not what you're doing, it's what you're not doing. And what they weren't doing was worshiping God as a lifestyle. They weren't attending to his temple. They, had, they were so consumed in their own lives and forgotten that we're here to honor God. But the moment they made a decision, okay, okay, God, you're right. You're right. You're right. We owe you worship. God, you're right. We owe you praise. God, you're right. We got to come to your house. God, you're right. We got to build your house. God said, okay, okay, we're good now. We're good now. No more drought. No more blowing on your money. I sold up all the bags. No more dripping no money down the street. Now everything you sold is going to bring in much. Everything you put your hands to is going to prosper. Everything you do is going to increase. I'm going to bless your family. I'm going to give increase in your fields. I'm going to judge in your favor. Why? Because you made a decision now to serve me with all your heart. It's a decision to put God first. The Bible says, seek first. Come on, the kingdom of God. And his righteousness or his way of doing things, his way of being right, and all these things shall be added to you. It's, it's real simple. Consider your ways. Now, I know some of y'all saying, well, Pastor, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Yeah, but are, are, you, are you doing all right based on how you've sown? I'm not talking about sowing in church. I'm talking about the hard work you've been doing out there. The investments you've made. I mean, some of y'all have written probably a dozen business plans. Y'all quiet. And what's your return on all your business plans you've written? Well, uh, nothing worked out yet. It's not the economy. Well, the industry I'm in is things have shifted. It's not, it's not that. He says, consider your ways. See, because the reality of it is that Abraham and Isaac prospered in a famine. Isaac found water when nobody else found water. So what goes on in the environment around you has nothing to do with you if you are doing what God calls you to do. I know this might be a hard pill to swallow on Wednesday night. Um, but that's what I got for you. And if you don't think I'm swallowing this too, then you're crazy. I got to swallow this same message, Brother Chris. The things I've done in my life, why hasn't there been more production? Maybe because I have not fully 
honoring and worship God the way I should. I'm not talking about in church. I can get louder in church. I'm talking about my, as a lifestyle. Have I really given myself to, okay, am I, am I building more, am I bringing more lively stones into the house of God? We ought to ask ourselves that question. How many, how many lively stones have we added to God's house? What I mean is how many souls have we won? Because the Bible says that, that, he, that get, or he that reaps receives wages. That means that God will pay us for every soul we win. Y'all quiet. God will play, he will pay us. He'll bless us of every soul we win. We don't do it for money. But he says he that reaps receives wages. Y'all are quiet up here in this Presbyterian church tonight. So we really got to evaluate. Why am I not getting more production out of the things I've, I mean, I, I, I had a good plan, a good, a good plan. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. See, I feel about how Haggai must have felt being a festive prophet, having to give a solemn message. And they probably looked at him like y'all are looking at me tonight. But they got it. And they did it. And God turned it around. My prayer is that you got it. God will do it. They will do You will do it. And God will turn things around in your life. Do you receive that tonight? Come on, give God a praise. You stand to your feet. Come on, give God a praise tonight. Hallelujah. Lord, we receive that tonight. We receive your instruction to, to evaluate ourselves, to consider our ways. God, we know that, God, we are not bound by the economy. We're not bound based on who's in the White House or State House or the, or the mayor's office. We're not bound by who's running Wall Street and who's running Hollywood, by who's running. We're not bound by all that stuff. That's all, that's all superfluous to us. God, we're in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom is inside of us. And God, we prosper through the prophesying. We prosper because we meditate on your word day and night. We prosper because we build your kingdom. We bring in more lively stones to build up a spiritual house for you. And you said he that reaps receives wages. So I, God, thank you tonight that Lord, we, we've heard the voice, we've heard the instruction, we've heard the challenge. I pray that there will be no resistance or rebellion to the word of God. But that we'll all do that honest assessment of our own lives and make sure that um, we don't keep casting the blame for financial shortcomings on something or someone else. We take a real hard look at our own lives, how we operate, whether we are real worshipers as a lifestyle. And God, wherever we are short, we trust you to show it to us. We receive correction. We receive correction. Because your word says, whom you love, you correct. So this correction tonight is a token of your love for us. Thank you for loving us enough to speak this tonight. And I pray that, Father, each person who hears makes the adjustment and that we'll begin to flourish and abound, not just in our finances, but in every area of our lives. I pray, Father, you give us a great boldness to win souls, bring in more lively stones to build up a spiritual house. That, Lord, we will uh, see your kingdom advance. That, God, the number one work of our hands will be to build your kingdom. And as we do that, we build you a house, you'll build us a house. Ha, ha, ha. Thank you, Lord. While, with, while we are with you, you'll be with us. If we honor you, you will honor us. So, Lord, we want to do that tonight. As we do it, we trust you to turn things around in our lives. Thank you for it. We give you the praise for this word. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Come on, give God a praise tonight again.